Pop-Up Theatre presents Blackout Murders, a Sherlock Holmes review, hosted by Alexandria Kay. Welcome listeners to another Sherlock Holmes Factual Fiction review. My guest today is author Simon Reed, who is a consultant on Pop-Up Theatre's Season 2 Sherlock Holmes finale episode, The Blackout Ripper. Simon has written numerous books on true crimes focused on stories from the 1930s and 40s, and his work has even been optioned for television and movies. Simon, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Alex. Great to be here. It's great to have you. So you collaborated with our resident writer and director, Scott McQuaid, very early on this year for the Blackout Ripper episode, and now it's finally been released. What did you think? I thought it was uh, fantastic. I was actually quite honored that Scott reached out, expressing interest in turning uh, the Blackout Ripper story into a pop-up theater production. And I think the concept of taking a historic true crime and adding it, uh, sort of bringing it into the world of Sherlock Holmes or bringing Sherlock Holmes into the world of a real life event is a fantastic concept. One thing I love about pop-up theater productions is how uh, you really feel like you're listening to uh, an old time radio drama. It's almost like kind of going back in time a bit to when people used to sit around the radio for their entertainment. So uh, really excited about the quote unquote play and how it turned out. And uh, I think it was a fantastic, uh, a fantastic experience. Well, thank you very much. We're glad you enjoyed it. So the information used in this play comes from all the research you did for your book, The Blackout Murders. Can you tell us a little bit about the process of obtaining all that research? Sure. The research was actually quite easy to obtain. The uh, source material for the book were the actual Scotland Yard police files. So crime scene photos, witness interviews, and the uh, case reports written up by the various detectives. And it's all on file at the British National Archives in Kew. And back in 2004, over the Christmas holidays, I went back to visit my parents who live live in England. And I took a trip down to uh, London to uh, spend a couple of days at the archives, digging through the files and uh, making copies and taking notes. And so everything that's in the book, all the quoted dialogue, all the descriptions are taken from the actual case files. So everything in the book is true. Nothing is sort of uh, made up. Everything is based on actual documented evidence. Awesome. Thanks, Simon. Now, this story evokes reminiscence of Jack the Ripper, hence why the newspapers dubbed the killer as the Blackout Ripper. Why do you think the general public is so interested in these dark, true crime stories? That is a good question, and it's one I've pondered many times before. I think there's a voyeuristic aspect to it. I think people are interested in sort of the dark nature of humanity. I also think when you read a story about something horrible happening to someone else, there's a voyeuristic quality to it. And there's also kind of a relief that it's not happening to you. True crime is going through something of a renaissance right now. It used to be kind of a schlocky genre, sort of frowned upon, especially when um, in the dark, uh, the Blackout Murders came out back in 2006. True crime wasn't necessarily as popular as it is now, but we've seen an explosion of it with podcasts, uh, Netflix documentaries, uh, obviously the work you guys do taking true crime stories and turning them into these old-fashioned radio dramas, which is, uh, which is great. I think it just appeals to people's morbid curiosity. Right. Yeah, you're probably spot on there. Right. So keeping on the Ripper train, do you think in some ways the Blackout Ripper was trying to imitate or emulate Jack the Ripper? Because his killings seem to become more and more vicious as they go on. 
I don't think it had anything to do with the Jack the Ripper comparison. So during uh, the killing spree, there was a ration on newspaper and newsprint. So the killing spree actually didn't get a lot of coverage until towards the very end. Mm. What's frustrating about the Blackout Ripper case is he never admitted to the crimes. We don't know why he did what he did. By all accounts, by everyone who, who knew him, he was a normal person. He didn't display any uh, sort of psychosis of any kind, no sexual deviancy. So he's He's a fascinating character in that his facade is totally normal, but he's capable of these horrible things. But he's also a frustrating character because we have no idea why he did um, the things he did. I, like the week he starts his killing spree, he actually goes home one afternoon to visit his wife and they have tea together and he borrows a pound from her for his night out on the town with friends. And then he leaves her flat and uh, goes into the city that night and then starts doing his thing. And I actually just found it, uh, found out after I wrote the book, he sent a letter to his wife the night before his execution. And he says in the letter, if they say I did these things, I must have done it, but I have no recollection of doing it. Right. Very interesting. And the Blackout Ripper continues to be a mystery. All right. Now we're going to pivot more to your work and you. So most of your work seems to focus on World War II. What is it about that time that attracts you to it? It's funny. I, I didn't necessarily set out to sort of uh, write a lot about World War II. It just kind of happened that way. But I have always been fascinated with the Second World War. And particularly, I've been fascinated with uh, World War II London. The city during that time, it, it was a very different place than sort of the romantic notions we have of it. Obviously, it was dangerous. But it was a it was a violent city. You know, there was uh, crime flourished. The police were short staffed because of obviously the war effort, men being sent off to fight. You know, there was petrol rations, so it was hard for the police to get around. Uh, and so it was a great sort of thriving environment for criminals. So I've always been fascinated to kind of dig beneath the surface to find out what the real story is like. So you were a newspaper reporter originally, which led you to eventually writing true crime stories. How did this materialize? I started out as a newspaper reporter, but I'd always wanted to be an author. And growing up, I wanted to be like Stephen King or Ian Fleming. I either wanted to write horrors or I wanted to write uh, spy thrillers. Obviously, it didn't pan out that way. Back in the late 1990s, I stumbled across a newspaper article from 1933 in the New York Times detailing this crazy murder that happened in Prohibition-era New York City about a guy who survived multiple attempts on his life without ever realizing someone was trying to kill him. I just thought, you know, that would make a really good book. And so just in my spare time, when I wasn't at work, I, I started working on a book proposal for the story and sent it out and found an agent. And the book got published. It was my first book called On the House, came out back in uh, 2004. And that just sort of put me on the true crime path. And then after writing that book, I was just reading a book one day uh, while on vacation about crime in World War II London. And there was a one sentence mention uh, about a serial killer called the Blackout Ripper. And I thought, wow, that is a really catchy name. And from there, I, I just kind of got sort of wrapped up in the, um, in the true crime thing. Right. Now, your latest book titled The Iron Sea is about how the Allies hunted and destroyed Hitler's warships. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Sure, yeah. Although it's a work of military history, I actually describe it as a nonfiction action adventure story. And so the book is about the Allied efforts to sink Germany's four capital warships. It, it was actually a, it was a very fascinating book to write. And because the book is so action-based, it was a very fun book to write. Right. 
Um, an appropriate question maybe to ask, uh, with you being a writer and us as pop-up theatre being very involved with the world of Sherlock Holmes, you never touched any of Doyle's work? Funny you should mention that because I actually just recently ordered, and yes, I did actually read Sherlock Holmes back in high school, and that was 30 plus years ago. And I actually thought recently, you know what, I need to uh, reread those stories again. And I, I bought a classic edition of the four Sherlock Holmes novels. Great. Happy reading. So what else are you working on at the moment? Um, what's coming up for you? I'm at work on a uh, new uh, new book. The working title right now is called Scotland Yard, a vivid and grisly biography in 65 killings. It's a history of Scotland Yard told through some of its most infamous murder investigations. We don't realize Scotland Yard, you know, sort of revolutionized a lot of the stuff uh, that we see today in sort of like modern CSI. The reason police wear rubber gloves at crime scenes is because of a really grisly crime Scotland Yard investigated in 1924, where detectives were seen scooping up raw human flesh with their hands. Right. Um, you know, the fingerprint system that Scotland Yard developed was used by uh, Interpol and international police agencies up until the uh, 1990s. So, you know, Scotland Yard has had a really big um, impact on, on police work. They established the first plainclothes detective branch in 1842, which sort of changed policing. So yeah, big impact Scotland Yard's had on policing and uh, criminal investigations. So the book's going to dive into all of that and uh, we'll see how it goes. Awesome. Thank you. We'll look forward to that. So for any of you listeners who are interested in Simon's books, they are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, as well as various other online outlets and bookstores. But you can also visit Simon's website, Simon Reed Writing, where there is a complete list of all his works with direct links to purchase them. Thank you for being our guest on the show today and best of luck with your future work, Simon. Alex, thank you so much. And uh, thanks to the pop-up theater team for a great adaptation. It's fantastic. And that officially brings season two of Pop-Up Theatre's Sherlock Holmes Factual Fiction podcast plays to an end. A huge thanks for all the hours listened and the endless support. If you would like to re-listen or catch up on all 10 episodes from both Season 1 and 2, as well as its corresponding interviews, don't forget they're available on all major streaming platforms. I'm Alexandra Kay, signing off with Pop-Up Theatre for the year. See you again soon in 2023.